hey, before we, uh, we jump into this, I don't usually say this, but I'm going to say it this morning. If, if you have children, uh, it's, it's up to you, but if you have children under seventh grade, this might not be um, age appropriate for them. So I'm going to get into a lot of different terminology and things like that, words. Um, and so if anyone has any children under seventh grade, you might want to just take them to their class now. Um, so that you're not having to explain a bunch of things when you get home. Um, and as, as some people are doing that, um, just want to encourage you. This has been the best giving year in our church's history. And we were able to do so many things this summer. And I really, really appreciate the, the sacrifice that so many of you made this summer to keep us moving forward. Uh, we're probably 2500 or so dollars per week ahead of last year. Week, not month. So God is blessing the church, God is growing the church, and we're doing some really neat things with what he's given to us. One of the things we've done over the summer is to try to finish off, if you haven't seen that back room, um, you've got to go back there and see it. We gutted that room, put a wood floor down, it looks just amazing for women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies and life groups for adults. There's two big rooms back there, it looks phenomenal. There's a couple more things we still need to do, but I've pretty much at this point spent the budget for the year. I've raised a little extra to finish off the landscaping, a few other things that we needed to do. But the children's classroom still need, now that we've looked at this room, we'd rather put some either a laminate floor down or some kind of tile floor. It's going to cost a little more. So I just want to encourage you, if you, if, if you would, to give, if you have a little bit extra, you're thinking, you know what, we, you know, I just got a bonus or I can do this or I can do that. If you could, that would be really helpful. I don't want to go over budget in some of these areas. But we have fixed the roofs. Um, we fixed the roof on the new to you thrift store. We fixed the roof on the office. I mean, when it rained the other night, I think we had one leak. And to tell you the truth, in this facility um, over the years, it's been a battle. And we finally overcome it. But it's because of the sacrifice that you guys have been making and giving. And I'm not up here saying, gee, we're really, really hurting, really hurting. Um, we're, we're fine. But in order for us to keep moving forward in a few projects, I would really appreciate it if you maybe give a little bit above and beyond what you normally are doing. That would really, really help out a lot. All right. So I think most of the kids are out of here um, by now. Um, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. We're in this series called Remnant, talking about what it means to live a life for Jesus Christ. You know, to stand up and tell the truth, to stand up for him, even if you're the last voice to speak the truth in love to a culture. And this morning I'm going to teach on something that's a little bit challenging, um, but it was interesting, someone leaving said to me, man, you're really brave. And I, th I thought to myself, I appreciate that, and then I thought to myself, 20 years ago, I don't think this sermon would be very brave. I guess it is in 2013, um, but I guess what does that tell you about the way our culture is going? In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, for these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath is coming on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. I don't think anyone here would argue that there's a lot more than a hint going on out there in, uh, in 2013. A lot more than a hint. People are, I would use the word bold about their sexuality. I would even use the word proud. It, be, it has become a part of, of many people's identity. It, it, they identify themselves with their sexuality. And the reason I say that is our identity as human beings should be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
No matter what happens in your life, your identity is found in Christ. When you lose a job, when you have a job, when you're struggling here or not struggling, if you find your identity in Jesus Christ, the ebbs and flows of life do not crush you because your identity is found in Jesus Christ. Our identity is not found in our sexuality. So he says, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality. But again, there's, there's this pride almost or boldness about sexuality in our culture. I want to read you something I found while I was studying for the sermon. Dear Abby, I'm in love and I have an, I'm having an affair with two different women other than my wife. I love my wife, but I love these other women too. Please tell me what to do and don't give me any of that morality stuff. Signed, too much love for only one. Too much love for only one. She wrote back, Dear too much love for only one. The only difference between humans and animals is morality. Please write to a veterinarian. <laughs> I like that. Now this morning, I should almost stick my hands in my pocket. This morning I want to teach instead of preach. I'm going to try to limit my movements. And I really want to teach instead of preach because I don't want this to be an emotional exercise. I don't want to, you know, because you know me, I get passionate when I preach up here. So I'm going to try to the best of my ability. I, I almost got through the first service, but I'm going to try the best of my ability to teach through this passage and not just preach it, you know, get excited. I want to teach through it because I want everyone to understand what the word of God says and what does God say about this whole idea of sex? Now, I can't I can't run the whole gamut of everything the Bible says about sex, but I want to teach you a little bit about what God says when it comes to our sexual relationships. In verse 1 he says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love is the main theme here. Love is the main theme. And before, before we can understand the rest of this passage, we need to grasp this concept of love, biblical love. What is, when the Bible talks about love, what is it talking about? Love, again, is the, is, is the focal point. It's the focal point. And, and, and if we can grasp it and hold on to it, then I think everything else will fall into place. True love is found in the life of Jesus Christ. He's the perfect example of love. Jesus Christ is the perfect example of love. And love should be the hallmark of our lives as well. He set the example. We need to follow his example and express that love the way Christ would express love. Jesus Christ expressed love in giving, not taking. He gave his love. He gave love. He didn't take from others. He gave to others. He was sacrificial. Jen wrote, read that passage in 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not self-seeking. Not proud and self-seeking. It's, you're, it's, it's considering others. When the Bible talks about love, that's the kind of love the Bible talks about. How can I, how can I sacrifice myself for the other person? How can I give of myself for the other person? Now let me clarify one thing before we move on. When I use the word love this morning, I'm going to be defining it from a biblical perspective, what I just described to you, not a cultural perspective. So when I say love in different areas, you need to understand I'm coming at it from a biblical perspective. What does the Bible say love is? In my mind, everything else outside of a biblical definition is just conjured up in people's minds. It, 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 if, it, if it fits, I'll use it. But we're going to be using a biblical definition here. So in the context, in this context, Paul is saying, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality. Now, as I was trying to walk through this and study it and in, the original, in the original language, I guess the best way that I can define the word hint is to read you Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27, where Jesus says, You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in, with her in his heart. So what the Bible is saying, a hint starts in the mind and it starts in the heart. It starts in the mind and it starts in the, in the heart. Let there not be a hint of sexual immorality. Now, all of us understand who are a little older, this is where it begins. 
And God wants us to take those thoughts captive. As they enter our minds, you take those thoughts captive. But that's what he means when he uses the word hint. Now, I need to pause and clarify something else before we move on as well. If there's anyone here who's lived a perfect life in this area, I would, I would like you to leave, okay? Just leave the rest of us because, you know, I want you to leave. If you lived a perfect life, this is not the time to get a drink of water, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> if you lived a perfect life in this area, I'd like you to leave. Now, so I'll just give you a moment to, to pack up your things and go. I saw someone come in, but no one went out. (laughs) What I'm trying to say here is, you know what? This is an area we all need to work on. This is an area we all, there's no one in this room. I don't care if you're in church for the very first time in your life and you think everyone around you, oh, they don't, they don't think these people there, they go to church. Let me tell you something. We're all in the same boat. Okay. Everyone's in the same boat. This is something that people struggle with. And everyone here struggles at different times in their life. So I want to make sure that we're all in this together. And if you even have the thought of a little holier than thou, you're kind of, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so, you know what I mean? Even the thought of that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and, re- and rewind Matthew 5:27 in your head, all right? Where Jesus says, if you thought it, you've done it. Because then it puts us all on the same playing field. That's important. That's important. I want to encourage you with something else as well. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation. Listen to what I'm saying. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you fall short in this area, which you will, when you fall short in this area, what's going to happen is Satan will try to make you feel condemned, condemnation. You call yourself a Christian. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't be doing this and this and over and over again. You wouldn't think this and you wouldn't do this and whatever else. And he wants to make you feel condemned because then he shuts you down and God doesn't, can't use you. God can use you, but you pull yourself and put yourself in a position where God can't use you because you feel guilty and you feel shame and you feel all these things. But here's what the Holy Spirit does when we fall short in this area. He convicts us. When we feel convicted as believers in Jesus Christ, we ask for forgiveness. I did something wrong. God, will you forgive me through Christ? God says, yes, he knows our hearts. I don't care if we've done the same thing 50 times. He knows our hearts. And when we ask for forgiveness through Christ, we receive forgiveness. That's the difference between conviction and condemnation. I do not want us to go through this, this, this sermon okay, with the wrong thought process. Because no one got up and left, okay? And they weren't joking. No one would get up and leave. We are all in this together. Let's walk through and see what the Bible says about our sexual relationships with one another. If we are in Christ, we cannot be condemned, okay? We cannot be condemned. And it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter. Anything you've done before or anything you're going to do in the future can be forgiven. There's nothing you have done or will do in Christ that cannot be forgiven. You say, well, you don't understand. No, there's nothing you have done or that you will do that cannot be forgiven. It doesn't matter how many times we fall short. Because we have a relationship. That's what grace is all about. This is the great thing about being a follower of Jesus Christ. That is what grace is all about. When we fall short, God forgives us and we have that do-over. Now, the word impurity here, you use the word impurity, refers to a broad range of sexual activity. A broader range of sexual activity and the humiliation, the loss of dignity, and the loss of self-respect that come during and after those feelings, that's where you talk about impurity. When he says that word impurity, it's kind of a, a, a large net thrown over many, many different topics. You can think of the topic, that's what he's talking about here. 
Now, I don't know how many times I've sat down with people who have said, you know, I, I, I had sex with this person because um, they said they loved me. They said, I love you. And, you know, if you love me, you'll let me. And if you if we really love each other, we want to express ourselves through this way. That's how you express your love. And, and so they gave themselves to that person sexually because the person loved them only to find out later on that they were just using them. I don't know how many people I've sat down with and have talked to me about the fact that, you know, they, they, they really want to have a relationship, a sexual relationship with someone because they, if, they, if they have this relationship with them, that person will, will love them more or they'll be in a loving relationship only to find out it ended in loss and in pain. But they thought, man, if I, if I do this, if I take this step, this person will then love me. Because they're not saying they love you now, but you're thinking, if I do this, if I express myself in this way, then they will love me. The problem is that is not the case. And so, so many people end up in pain and in loss. I don't have time this morning to go through 30 years of discussions, but a, a large portion of the, of, the, of the counseling situations I face have to do with this subject and have to do with terrible pain and loss because someone was saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, or someone was not saying that and the person thought, well, if I do this and this person's going to, I'm going to be in a loving relationship and it doesn't work out that way. It doesn't end up that way. Think about the biblical definition of love. Giving sacrificing love is patient love is kind it is not self-seeking think about the biblical definition of love this is what we're talking about paul says sex brought outside of the marriage relationship is not love it's greed he says greed you're thinking to yourself what does greed have to do with it well most of us when we think of greed we think of money but in this context, Paul is using it to describe an unrestrained sexual greed where the person looks at others around them for their own satisfaction. That's basically what they're doing. They're looking, for, they're looking at, those around them, at those around them and they think this is, these people exist for my gratification. That's the kind of greed he's talking about. Where a person goes around and says, well, yep, 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 yep. If I can get the opportunity, I'm going to take the opportunity. And it's, it's a gratification, it's a selfishness. It is not a biblical love. The Bible tells us that sex is a gift, okay? That God designed it. God created it. It is not bad. It is not wrong. When it happens outside of God's boundaries, then you have problems. But sex itself was not made up by whoever. Sex was made up by God. God's the one. He loves me. He wanted us to have pleasure. God wanted us to be together. God created us. And created sex for us. God created men and he created and he designed men and he designed women. And, and he designed sex to be physical, yes. But also emotional and spiritual. We make a terrible mistake. Please hear me out. We make a terrible mistake when we think of sex as only physical. It is not only physical. It is spiritual. It is emotional. Anyone who spent time with when you were younger when you, or you talking to younger people and they engage in a physical relationship with someone. I, I don't know how many times I've had to take students to the hospital to get their stomachs pumped because they took too many drugs because they, oh, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. And then they, when they had sex, then he dumps her. If it's only physical, what's the big deal? It's not only physical. It's emotional. God designed it that way. It's spiritual. God designed it that way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is with you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. God designed the marriage relationship between a man and a woman as the only avenue to express physical, that physical side of sexuality. He designed marriage for that. Okay? Not just for. But that's what it's designed for. God gave us that opportunity. The only way to express ourselves sexually with one another is within the bounds of marriage. 
And I want you to look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, where God says this, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. There's a lot of implications for one flesh, okay, in a man and a woman. That is the bounds. That is, the, that is what God created for us to express ourselves sexually. He created a man, he created a woman, and he created marriage for us to express ourselves that way. Paul and the rest of the Bible basically say that sex outside of marriage is outside of God's plan, his will, and purpose for our lives. When you step outside of the boundaries that God has set forth, we run into all kinds of problems. We run into all kinds of trouble. Just think about our culture and think about all the issues that we're facing in our culture. Think about, if you will, your own life and the struggle that we face when we step outside of God's boundary in this area. God says it is improper for God's holy people. We are called God's holy people, and that is what we are. When we were called to Christ, we were sanctified. We were set apart for God. The most important relationship in your life is not with your spouse, it is not with your children, it is not with your friends, it is with Jesus Christ. If you have a relationship with Christ, that is the most important relationship in your life. And God says this is improper for God's holy people. It is inconsistent with the walk that you've chosen to take. You've chosen to walk with Christ. And this behavior is inconsistent with the walk that we've chosen to take. Then he makes it even clearer. And this is where I, sometimes I get a little frustrated with um, pastors and churches where they're, I guess, trying to be really cool or, you know, fit in or whatever the case may be. But this is, this is what he says. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. There should not be a trace of this kind of activity in the life of a believer. So you're not going to see me ever get up here and tell a joke that is off color or try to say something to get a rise out of people or let everybody know how cool I am or how, you know, culturally relevant I am because I'll say this and I'll, you know, people go, oh, man, he's just like me. He's just like, you know... Hey, I, I want to relate to people as much as humanly possible so that I can lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I will not step outside of the bounds of what God has called his holy people to do and how to live. There are specific things that God calls for his, his followers to, to do and, and a way that we should live our lives and we should not step outside of the bounds. Those who claim to live for Jesus Christ should not have this as any part of their lives. They should, we, should avoid, we should avoid joking about sexual immorality. Why? This is extremely important. Why should we avoid joking about sexual immorality? Because joking makes light of it and prepares us for what's coming next. If you think that what we're going through right now is the end of the game, you're making a terrible mistake. A terrible mistake. Hopefully, some of us won't live long enough to experience it. But if you think that what we're going through in this sexual whatever we're going through in our country, if you think that's the end game, that's Satan's end game, you are making a terrible mistake. And if we joke about it, it makes light of what's coming next. Making light of other people's immorality allows us to kind of go along with it or accept it. We become comfortable and then we look for ways to, to gloss it over. Because we hear it, it comes in, we just become a part of it. When our culture tries to desensitize us to, a, to a different forms of sexuality, they usually start by, listen to me, they usually start by making jokes about it. It doesn't start scientific evidence, or it doesn't start this person chose, it doesn't, none of that, it, it doesn't start out by just, it starts by, with joking. Watch your favorite sitcom, okay? In your favorite sitcom, here's what they basically do. If they, want to de, if they want to dull your conscience, 
especially as a believer, if they want to sear your conscience as a non-believer, but if they want to dull your conscience as a believer, they'll make jokes about it. They'll start out in your favorite sitcom. They'll start talking about a certain thing. And then what they'll do is they'll have a very likable character engaged in whatever behavior it may be or whatever discussion it may be. And so you like the character and everything's really funny. It's your favorite show and everything. And I don't particularly like everything they say, but and it's constantly the underlying. It's ha, 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 ha. I'll give you an example of pornography in the 1990s. In the 1990s. They talked about pornography so much on the really popular sitcoms that it became a part of the culture, our cultural identity, if you will. And, and they would start out by saying, hey, when cable was just starting to get really popular, they'd say, you should get cable or you should get a computer because there's porn. There's porn. And they would laugh and there'd be the laughing thing in the background and they, they'd make some kind of joke about it, but they constantly... But here's the problem with that. That all, this behavior leads us not toward God, it leads us away from God. In some cases, it enslaves people. And in some cases, it literally enslaves people. It's all ha, ha, ha on our favorite sitcom in the 1990s. Now it's a part of the general accepted population. But it literally enslaves people. We get up in arms about child trafficking. Where do you think child trafficking starts? couple jokes, little laughter, no big deal, dull your conscience, sear your conscience, not worry about it. And the next thing you know, you have things that you never thought possible. In Ohio, for example. You never thought this that would go on, but yes, it does. And it starts this way. Here's how it starts. So the Bible's saying is, don't even joke about it. Don't even joke. Like I said, for believers, for believers, our conscience is dulled. It becomes dulled and allows us when our conscience becomes dulled, we lower our guard and allows us to be tempted and fall in these areas. Otherwise, we may not. But when our conscience becomes dull and we're not really on our guard, then it's easier for us to fall. That's why God, listen, that's why God uses the word hint. That's why he uses the word hint. He says, don't even be any part, don't, don't make this any part of your life. That's why Jesus says, if you think it, in Matthew 5, 27, if you think it, you've done it. Because he says, if, if you are going to dance along the edge, sooner or later, you're going to fall over off the edge. Jesus, God is basically saying, listen, let there not be a hint that that's the edge. I want you way on back here. Here's where I want, here's where I want God's holy people. Uh, here's, there's the edge. Okay, I want you with a hint. And when things come into your mind, take those thoughts captive. Do your best. Do your best to take those thoughts captive. If you stumble and you fall, ask for forgiveness and we'll move on. But he's certainly not going to let you dance around the edge because if you dance around the edge, sooner or later, you're going to slip and you're going to fall. That's why God is so concerned about this. For the believer, it stunts and limits our spiritual growth. For the non-believer, it's even more serious. Paul says this, for, if you, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You cannot dabble in darkness and come out scot-free. You cannot dabble in darkness and not be influenced. You cannot delve into the world of pornography or adultery or other kinds of sexual behavior and not think your life is going to be changed in some way. It can't, it can't be done because it's physical, emotional, and spiritual. It's not something you dabble in and just kind of walk away from. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 says, For you were once darkness when you were out, when you didn't know Christ, you lived in darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Listen, live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. Think of those things. Focus your attention on those things. You know, what we, try to, what we do sometimes as Christians is we test the limits of God's grace, right? Don't we? We test the limits of God's grace. We think, well, 
we have Christian freedom, and so we're impervious to really falling too far into sin because, you know, God's grace, and, we, we, you know, and, and, and so we, we basically try it out. Like an alcoholic who says, well, I can, I can quit at any time. I can, I mean, I can quit at any moment. You fool yourself into thinking that a little experimentation in college or a little flirting at the office, it's just simple flirting, it won't lead to anything. The Bible says you're wrong. You're wrong. It has implications for your life. You need to do, listen, to this is important, you need to, to, you need to, to the best of your ability, to the best of your ability, try to be obedient. That's what a remnant does. God calls you, and then you and I, to the best of our ability, try to honor Him. As we live, as we live to be a light, if you will, as we live to, 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 to a pure life, God's light then shines from within us. As we try to be a to live a pure life in an impure world, God's light shines. He calls us to be children of light and to shine that light on those around us. Not be holier than thou, but live in such a way that when you walk into a room, your light shines. People see something different. When you walk into a room, that light shines in the darkness and you begin, people around you begin to ask questions about how you're living your life, the light, op- the light shines into the darkness and people start to ask questions about how they're living their life. When they watch their lives fall apart, when they're used over and over and over again, when all the culture tells them doesn't work, because it doesn't work, there is the light and they can begin to open up their eyes. Paul says in, in Ephesians 5.11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the deceitful do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for the light makes, it, makes, it, makes everything visible. When you bring a lantern into a darkened room, do you need to kind of spread the light around in the darkened room? No. The light does its job. The light already does its job. When you bring a light into a dark room, the light is already doing its job. You don't need to do anything. You need to live your life in such a way as a remnant, in such a way that when you walk into your school, into your office, into your neighborhood, and wherever it is that you are, when you walk in, that light shines all around you. Don't be, don't be a jerk, okay? Don't be, don't be spiritually arrogant. Don't look at people. Don't look down on anyone else. Just be who God created you to be. And when the conversation comes up, then you can talk about it. Then you can be that light. You need to spew. You are the, the Bible says you are the light of the Lord. You are the light of the Lord. Your testimony should be blazing through your life choices. How you choose to live your life. The world is in desperate need of some light, my friends. It's in desperate need of light. And instead, I'm hearing things like, well, as long as two people, or I shouldn't even say two, as long as people love each other, then I think sex is okay. As long as people love each other. That's really what matters. As long as people love each other, then sex is totally fine. Or the reason I think sex is fine with these folks is because my uncle or my cousin or whoever um, is engaging in this kind of behavior, um, just in general, and I love them, so therefore what they're doing is right. Or one of the ones that really breaks my heart is Christians who say, God is love. God is love, and love is love. And as long as people love each other, then sex is okay. As long as people love each other. Now, I want to pause for a moment and using your adult minds, I want you to think that through. As long as people, using a cultural definition of love, as long as people love each other, then them having sex is okay. So, any, so as long as any two or more people love each other, then it's okay. So I want you to think through that for a sec, just for a moment. 
But that's how you're defining it. That's what you say. Love is love. So that any, any people, not two, any people, love each other. Use the little bit of creativity, the, the mind that God has given you, and think through the implications of that standard. And as you're thinking through the implication of that standard, I want to ask you a question. Where do, I'm saying you, where do you, where do I, where do we, where do you draw the line? Think about that. I just told you to think about as long as it's loving, anything goes, right? That's, that's what we're pretty much saying, anything, the world's saying, as long as it's loving. So now I want you, in your mind, as a human being, just for you, where do you draw the line? Because the moment you draw a line in your mind, just be prepared to be a hater. You're, you are a hater. And you're going to hear things like, where are you? Who, who, who made you the judge of people who love each other and what they choose to do? The moment, you, the moment in your mind you said, well, this would be wrong. I'm saying, who, who are you to judge what two people who love each other choose to do? As long as they're not bothering you, as long as it doesn't affect you, then it's none of your darn business what two people do or people do behind closed doors. Who died and left you God to decide where the line is drawn? See, there's the, there's the trap we fall into. The moment someone says, well, you're, you're ridiculous. I don't understand why you can't. I can't believe you that you would say, what a, here, here's why I don't fall into the trap. Jeff Greer does not have opinions on this. It's not my, I don't create these opinions in my mind. The Bible lays out a standard. The Bible draws the line. And I tell you what the line is that the Bible has laid out. God says, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality. Jesus says, if you think it, you've done it. There's your line. There's the line. I don't have to. Because the moment you step outside of this, close this, put it away, and then start making your own judgments, hang on to dear life. Because I'm going to come, not me personally, but the world's going to come at you and tell you, who died and left you all people, God? It's none of your business. It's none of this. And that's what's going to happen. You're a, you are a hater. You're an absolute hater. My youth pastor asked me, this is years ago, I just became a Christian. I just got saved. We were in discipleship. And he said, he said, how, how do you deal with, how do you handle your relationship with girls in your life? Like, how far would you go? And I said, well, and I, I was married a virgin, okay? But, you know, years ago. Uh, you don't have to clap. You don't have to clap. I appreciate it. <laughs> it was hard, but I did it. Um, but he said to me, what do you, where do you draw the line? And I said, well, I, I just, when she says no, I thought that was pretty gentlemanly of me. I really did. You know, it may have been a long time ago, but, you know, I was a pretty much of a gentleman, I thought. And he said, wrong. He looked me right in the face and said, wrong. He said, God, God drew a stand, God has a standard for us. He says, how can you put her in that, in that situation? He said, you need to be a man. You need to step up and be a man. This is God's example. This is the line that God has drawn. This is what God expects of you. Do not put a sister in Christ in that position to have to tell you no. And then he read me a verse of scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 that stuck with me my whole life. He said, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat our younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Students will ask me all the time, Well, how far can I go? Um, how far can I go when I'm dating a girl? How far can I go when I'm dating a guy? Whoop, there it is, right there. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm like, I just ruined your whole dating life until you get me. He says, treat an old, a younger man like a brother and an older woman, a, a younger woman as a sister with absolute purity. Now listen to me, okay? You're thinking you are old and half dead. What do you know, okay? Listen, I know that this is difficult. Make no mistake, Okay? I know what I'm saying to you is extremely difficult. I, I know that we're not going to always live up to. I know we're going to fall short in these areas. I understand that. 
I'm more than most people in this room as the pastor understand that. I know it's what I'm saying is really hard. I know we're going to fall short sometimes. I also know the world doesn't even understand what I'm saying. But I also know this. I know that I'm right. I know that I'm right. Because it's God's standard. It's what, you know, and God is not some cosmic killjoy. He wants to take away all your fun. God knows that sex outside of a marriage relationship is not going to end well. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You have to remember those three things go into a sexual relationship. And God says, this is what I have set up for you. This is what I've laid down for you. And we step outside of those boundaries, things are not going to go well. I know it's difficult. I know we're going to fall short. But I also know that God's word is true and God's word is right. I'm also not saying that we should track down people who are not living up to God's standard and condemn them. Go to work tomorrow, pick out a few people in your office you know they're doing maybe something they shouldn't be doing and track them down and you know, give them the old you know, smack down or whatever. I'm also not saying that we should ever, ever verbally hurt anyone with our words. The people that we disagree, there are people that we would disagree with, okay? I would disagree with a lot of what's going out on the world, but I would never, and we should never, verbally attack someone who we disagree with. They're created in the image of God. God loves those people. God desires to have a relationship with those people, and he has not sent you as the light, as the salt, into a relationship to verbally attack someone who is doing something that you disagree with. I am also, I'm also saying that you can love someone who is not living up to the word of God, to God's standards. You can love someone who you disagree with, who is doing something that you would totally disagree with. Newsflash, okay, this may boggle your minds, but you can love someone and disagree with their life choices. Let that sink in for a second. If I disagree with you, it doesn't mean I hate you. I can love you and disagree with your life choices. I would give my life for people I disagree with. Why? Because a biblical definition of love is you lay down your life for your brothers or sisters. I don't think anyone here would question, if you know me more than a year, that I would lay down my life for someone who I don't, maybe I don't even know. I would certainly lay down my life for someone I don't agree with. You can love someone and not agree with them. As a matter of fact, you should because you need to lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is our job to speak the truth. This is the most important thing I'm going to say this morning. Okay, most important thing. More than anything else, that person needs to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. More than anything else. The issue isn't sexual behavior in different areas. The issue is Jesus Christ. When you're interacting with people who totally disagree with you, don't even get into, unless they're asking you a question about it, don't even get into the whole sexual kind of thing. Talk to them about Jesus Christ. Lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ because the issue is Christ in someone's life. It is not their sexual sin. The issue is Christ. Make that the issue. Love them enough to share his love with them. Now I want to close with a, a verse that's extremely important, okay? I want, to, I want to share one as we're closing off here. It's 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, My dear children, I tell you this so that you will not sin. So John is saying, okay, I just... My Bible... I tell you this, whatever it is, our, our topic here on sex, I tell you this so you will not sin. Right? It doesn't end there. It says, but if anyone does sin. Okay, reality. When we fall short, if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. When we fall short, I tell you this so you will not sin. But 
If anyone does sin, we have Jesus Christ who goes to the Father in our defense. My friends, we don't have to be perfect in this area because we gave our lives to the one who is and his blood covers us completely. When God sees us, he sees perfection because he no longer sees us. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. That's why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can't, you can't condemn perfection. When you gave your life to Christ, Christ's blood covers you. And God sees his son. He doesn't see you. What I'm saying this morning is I know how hard it is to be obedient. I know how hard it is for us to be obedient in this area. But that doesn't mean we don't try. That's all I'm saying this morning. That's all I'm saying. I understand how difficult it is. I promise with all of my heart I understand how challenging it is, especially for you younger ones who are being bombarded all the time with this stuff. Unlike what I ever went through when I was your age. Man, when I was your age, you had to go look for it. Now it comes and looks for you. There's a big difference. I pray for you. But God is saying, listen, all I'm asking you to do is to, is to do the best that you can to try with all of your heart, to try to do it, because here's the deal. God judges our hearts. David, think about David. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. But David is called a man after God's own heart. Why is David called a man after God's own heart when he committed adultery? Because, what's that? Amen, sister. Because when Nathan came to him, and confronted him with his sin, David didn't say, Hey, Nathan, I love her. She, I, I love her, man. You, should feel, you, you don't understand the love that I feel for her. I love Bathsheba. I, he didn't say that. And he didn't say, Hey, Nathan, too much love for just one, baby. It's just too much love in this right here. Come on, Goliath, the whole nine yards. Too much love for just one. He didn't tell Nathan, Hey, Nathan, why don't you mind your own business? One more word out of you, I'll have your head cut off. What he said was, I have sinned against the Lord. Do you want to know why God calls David a man after his own heart? Your homework today is to go back, go home and read Psalm 51. It is David's prayer after he committed adultery with Bathsheba was confronted by Nathan. Go back and read Psalm 51. David is a man after God's own heart. God is asking us as his people to do the best that we can in this area, to try to be obedient to him in this area. He's not looking for perfection. We already have that in standing with Jesus Christ. He's looking for a heart of obedience. He's looking for a remnant of people who will try. I can ask no more of all of us than we try. And when we fail, we ask forgiveness and we try again and we try again and we try again. He's looking for a remnant. He's looking for teenage girls who will do the best that they can to try to help not cause their brothers in Christ to stumble. You guys are so awesome and you're so beautiful. Give these guys a fighting chance, okay? That's all I'm asking you. Give them a fighting chance. He's asking, he's looking for young men who are not going to look at the girls around them as someone to be used for themselves, selfishly used for their own gratification. He's looking for young men who will honor their sisters in Christ, who love them enough to treat them as God calls you to treat them. And fathers, okay, I know I'm going a little bit over here, but I, I need to say this. Fathers, okay, until that young man puts a ring on your daughter's finger and you hear the words, I do, that child is under your protection. They do not, your child, your daughter does not belong to that young man. She belongs to you in God's heart until someone puts a ring on her finger. Then she belongs to him and he belongs to her. But until that time, you protect and care for the person that God has put under your protection. And if the young man doesn't like the conversation, tough. Amen. Okay? If he doesn't like it, he, doesn't, he feels uncomfortable with that conversation, don't clean your gun when he's coming in the door. Don't pull it. You know, he knows you're not going to... Well, some of you would probably shoot him, but he, most of you are not going to shoot anybody. But what will make a person extremely uncomfortable and will make a person understand you're serious is looking someone right in the face and say, this young lady does not belong to you. She belongs to me until God gives her to you. 
She's under my protection. We need, to, we need to live that way. We need to live our lives in such a way that our children know that we love them. And, and dads and moms, talk to your sons as well. Talk to your sons as well about this whole subject, how they treat their, their, their sisters in Jesus Christ. That their sisters, they, they're taking something that doesn't belong to them. That person, belo- that person is cherished and belongs to God. And until the time where they're willing to make a commitment to that young lady, they should not take something that doesn't belong to them. God is looking. God is looking for people who will live according to his standards. I know what I've said this morning flies in the face of everything our culture teaches. But I also know this. It is God's word and it is true. What I said this morning is God's word and it is true. In Psalm 119 and verse 9, it says this, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. And Father, as I raise my hand over this congregation, I do it with all the passion and love in my heart. I pray that you'd protect them, especially the younger ones, Lord God, that you'd protect them, that you give them strength, that they would work together, Lord God, that they would come together as a group and protect each other, have the same values as one another, encourage each other in this area. And Father, as adults, we pray for them right now that that you would keep them from the constant bombardment that they see and hear around them all the time. Protect their hearts, Lord God. Protect the older people in this church, the adults, who, Lord God, try with all their hearts to please you. Father, if we've made mistakes, if we've fallen, we pray, dear God, that you'd forgive us. We pray, that, dear God, that you would send us on our way renewed and refreshed because we have Jesus Christ who covers us. Father, is anyone here who needs to repent of sin in their lives? I pray they would do that this morning before they leave and they'd walk out of here a new person, restored, renewed, and refreshed because we're in you. We love you. We give our lives, our bodies to you and pray, dear God, that you would protect us and help us to become the remnant you've called us to be in this area and in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.